in the first service, I was sitting here, we were singing the songs, and I was just, I was just thinking, and I think I, I do this a lot, I just realized it more, but we're singing some of the words, and, and, I, and I hope you think about the words when, when you sing them, but I, was just, I started to ask myself questions. So we sing, for example, I mean, so for this service, I printed them out so I could even see the exact words. But who else commands all the hosts of heaven? Who else could make every king bow down? Who else can whisper and darkness trembles? Only a holy God. And I'm saying, I'm singing it, but in my head, I'm thinking, do I really believe that? Um, my worth is not in what I own. Not in the strength of flesh and blood, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. I rejoice in my Redeemer, my greatest treasure, my greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I'm thinking, is he really? My soul is satisfied in him alone, is it? For this cause I live, for this cause I die, I surrender all for the cause of Christ. Do I? Would I? One of the reasons I really like the song that we're going to sing after this, Jesus is Better, is the, the bridge. Because of, we're singing, of course, Jesus is Better, but in the bridge we sing, In all my sorrows, Jesus is better. Um, in every victory, Jesus is better. Than any comfort, Jesus is better. Than all, than, more than all riches, Jesus is better. And we're singing all these things, and Jesus is better. But then after every line, we sing, Make my heart believe. And I did not plan this before in the first service, but I thought, man, that is a great introductory to this passage, our passage today. Luke 18, verses 15 through 30. So the main passage being what um, is commonly referred to and known as the, the rich young ruler, but there's this intro, introductory passage, at least for, for today, it's an introductory passage about the children coming to Jesus. Now, they were bringing even infants to him, to Jesus. So I think we've seen uh, before where they bring the children, but here they're bringing not just children, but even infants, even babies to him, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the, God, the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. As we move on and, and, and focus on this next passage, that other one, keep it in the back of your mind. We will refer back to it. Verse 18, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And I'll stop right there and just address that aspect just briefly. It's not central to our message today, but um, some people have pointed to that and say, see, Jesus doesn't claim to be God um, because he says no one's good except God alone, meaning, you know, he's not. Um, but I want you to imagine this situation. So there's this ruler, this guy with power, authority, status, um, he, he, you don't get that 
to that position by accident. You know how to do things. You know how to talk to people. You know what to say to people. And um, especially in, in that culture, I can imagine that, that the right titles, getting the titles right and giving people the, the proper deference and um, respect and all that, that is key. Uh, whether you mean it or not, just to be able to, to move around in that society and especially to be able to move up in that society, you know how to talk to people. So this ruler comes, he knows how to talk to people. He knows how to maybe even blow smoke a little bit um, when he's talking to people. So he, he comes and he doesn't just say teacher like most people say. They call Jesus rabbi, good teacher. So he's you know, superfluous in his, in his title to him. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, are those just words, or do you know what you're saying when you say that? Much more than, oh, well, I'm not God. Um, I'm not good because I'm not God. He's, I think he's saying, stop and think about what you're saying, who you're talking to. Do you really believe that? Do you really mean what you say? Because if you do, God is good. Are you really calling me good? Do you really believe that I am who I am? Continuing in verse 20, so he asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In verse 20, Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So that Camel going through the eye of a needle, an idiomatic expression, so an idiom, something they would say, kind of like we say, like, well, it'll be a cold day in hell when, or when pigs fly. So it's almost like Jesus said, pigs will sooner fly than when he says it is easier for a camel to go through a needle, using a a phrase they would have understood and used themselves. Verse 26, those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we've left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Pray with me. Father, just thank you for the the beauty of your word and just the way that you have laid things out and, and these examples that you give us and show us so that that we can see for ourselves how should we respond? How should how would we respond to Jesus? How do we respond to Jesus? Just thank you for the the words that are captured here, the ideas, the message, and and, um, just open our hearts and our minds, our ears and our eyes to see, to hear, to know, even to to feel and to believe the things that are in your word for us today. In Jesus' name, amen.
So in this passage of the, the rich ruler, yours might say the rich young ruler, um, it doesn't mention him being young here in the Matthew passage about the same thing. It calls him young man, which would not be young like we might think. He's not a teenager. He's not his 20s. Um, he's probably like somewhere in his 30s or approaching 40s, something like that. Um, so that's why it's commonly for, referred to and known as the rich young ruler. And so as we read this passage, we, we kind of get this profile of this, this man, this ruler. And there are three things that we could take from this passage to, to kind of make a profile of him. The first is he is a ruler. So he has some sort of power, authority, position, people under him that he is, is over, all that comes with being a, a ruler, someone of authority and power. Second, we learn that he's extremely rich. When Jesus tells him to sell all that he has, he walks away very sad, or he, he hears these things and he becomes very sad because he was extremely rich. So we learn that about him. Secondly, the third thing you might wonder, well, maybe it's that he's young because the rich young ruler, but what, what could be the third thing? Well, the third thing is when Jesus tells him, why do you call me good? No, or, or no, sorry. When, uh, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. So when he lists the commandments, he says, these I have kept from my youth. And this is the third part of his profile and, and maybe the, third, the, the part that is going to relate most directly to many of us in here this morning, because he was most likely then a Jewish man because he kept the commandments, the law of Moses, from his youth, he said. And so we're going to kind of break down each of those things, the ruler extremely rich, and, and then, his, then from his youth. In the book, but not the movie, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, um, there's a, a character who's talking to Eustace. So Eustace is like the smart aleck little kid that you want to get beat up. Um, and, well, it's true. And um, this character is talking to Eustace about how he is essentially a retired star. And, of course, Eustace, in his, in his great wisdom, does not believe that. And, and I'm sure very sarcastically says, in our world, a star is a huge ball of flaming gas. This character, this creature responds, even in your world, my son, that is not what a star is, but only what it is made of. These three things don't tell us who this man is, but they do tell us what he is made of. We're going to look at each one of these aspects to see who he is and maybe to see through that who we are as well. So the first point, aspect of his profile we're going to look at is, is from his youth. He says, I've kept these from my youth. Now, how many of you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a second. Um, you would say either I grew up in the church or you believed, um, you would say I believed in Jesus when I was young, like child or early teenage years. So if you would say one of those two things, either I grew up in the church or I believed in Jesus when I was a uh, younger age, um, would you raise your hand if that's true of you? So most of us in here, which is I thought what I thought would be the case, and you know, me too, I'm raising my hand too. I've attended church since the womb. Um, so I definitely grew up in church um, and, and believed in Jesus when I was young. 
And it was the same for the first service as well, and, and probably the same for many churches if that question were asked across our country, particularly in our part of the country, if that question were asked of people this morning. And that is, you know, I'm not saying that's good or bad or negative, but I want, what I want us to recognize, if, if, that is, if that is you and that was most of us, sometimes the challenge that that can present for us, and again, I'm including myself in that as well, the challenge is sometimes in seeing the, the freshness of the Word of God, the freshness of the truths of the Word of God, um, even the full implications, because we know the story already before we get to it, like being able to see the full implications and, and getting all the, out of it that is there. Because we, before we get there, we know the plot. We know who the good guys are and the bad guys are. We know who wins in the end. We know how it all turns out. I mean, most of you probably know this story very well. It's not, it's not new. And so it's hard to miss the full implication. It's hard for it to really kind of smack us upside the head like it should because it's so familiar, because we've, we've known these things from our youth. We, the other challenge in this is, is we, we've grown up with these things from our youth, and so we know the right things to do. Like we know when to stand up and sit down and when to sing and when to bow our heads, um, what to say in church, what not to say, or if you're going to say the things you're not supposed to say, at least who you can say them to and who to not say them to. I mean, we know all the rules, what to wear, um, how to act. And, you know, when somebody comes in who is not from that, like you can kind of tell, it's like, well, they don't know what to do. Um, they don't know all, all the rules, but we know the rules. We know what's the right things to do. We know the right things to believe. Right? We've, we've known, again, from our youth that, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus, he was born, um, and, and we celebrate that at Christmas, that he's God in the flesh, that he lived a perfect life, a sinless life, that he died a, the, the, the death on our behalf, making, making atonement for our sin. On the third day, he raised from the dead, and he ascended into uh, the heavens, which we celebrate at Easter. So we know all of these things. And those are key things. And, and, you know, so what am I saying? Am I saying that's not enough? No, I'm not saying. Because you know, the Bible does say, believe these things in your heart and confess these things with your mouth and you'll be saved. So I'm not trying to add on to what Scripture says. I'm not trying to create a new law or anything like that. Um, but I do want us to just stop and think those things that we believe from our, our youth. There is a little bit of difference if you think of that, compare it to somebody who had never heard that and walks in and hears for the first time, Jesus is God who becomes flesh. He is the second person of the Trinity, whatever that means. And, um, and he died on the cross, could you believe that? But then he rose from the, the dead. I mean, we know, even we know people don't rise from the dead. Like, we know that. Science has proven that people don't rise from the dead, I think we can safely say. Um, and so for then someone to walk into that, not having known that, and then to confess that and believe that, that really says something. It's, and I think we would agree, it's a little bit different from those who, of us who heard it and believed it from our youth to maybe say, okay, do I believe it in the same way still? Or even... Comparing it to 
It's one thing to declare that in here, yes, of course we believe these things, to step out of these four walls or how many walls are in here, and then to boldly proclaim that to a colleague or coworkers or, or whatever circles you roll in. It's a little bit, it's a little bit different. So there, there are challenges that are not over, we, they can be overcome, but I just want to recognize the challenge of those of us who have believed these things from our youth, who have known these things, heard these things from our youth. You might still be a youth, and that's okay. Um, but it's, it, the, the, the challenge is understanding the difference between mere belief, yes, these are things I believe, and true belief. Mere belief just believing and loving Jesus, mere belief and following Jesus. It can almost be like we believe, if we're not careful, we can believe these things in the same way we believe that Jack climbed a beanstalk and killed a, a giant. You know, there... It, it's, it's something that's there in the back of our mind. We kind of know it's there. It's a story we've heard, and we wouldn't say it truly happened historically, but um, you know, it, it has about the same impact. It never really bleeds over into our actual daily lives. And the challenge there, too, is the same challenge that this guy has when he comes to Jesus. Because he comes thinking that he already has what he needs. And we can be tempted to think that we already have what we need when we come to Jesus. In high school, college, seminary, went to the same church throughout, even though I didn't always live in that same town of Lewisburg. And so um, really appreciated our pastors and Got to know them well, spent a lot of time with them. Um, they employed me on multiple occasions. Um, two of them built their own houses, and I got to help. Uh, I got to help them build their houses. And, and one in particular, um, I worked for him full time at, at two different times. And so learned at the time, you know, a lot about construction compared to what I didn't, or compared to what I knew before that, which was basically nothing. Um, and, and so with one of our pastors, I got to be there really like from the very beginning, you know, from clearing the land to, to grading it, to digging the footers, to pouring the footers. And, and so it was like literally from the ground up. And it was just he and I most of the time. He did it all himself, and then I helped him. So I got to be involved in a lot of that and enjoyed that, appreciated the, the experience and the knowledge gained, appreciated the job, of course. Um, but one thing I, I really remember vividly, because it was early on, and I'm wondering, you know, what's this job going to look like for me? What am I going to get to do? And so footers are poured, and he starts on the foundation, this brick foundation. And I remember, like, so he, he's, he's a pretty meticulous guy anyway, very detail-oriented, um, focus on quality, everything done very, very well. And that was for, for everything. But when he's laying, especially those first bricks, I mean, the, the amount of time it took and the, the care that went into making sure everything was square and level and um, measuring within like whatever smaller than millimeters, making sure it's exactly perfect. And I'm just thinking like, 
this is taking forever. And I was incredibly bored because I had nothing to do. I, I didn't get to touch the foundation. I was just the mud man. I got to mix and bring over the, um, everything for him to lay the foundation. But such care that went into it. And I don't remember how long it took to do the whole foundation, but I was thinking this itself is going to take all summer at this rate because he spent so much time on that foundation. Well, then we got, you know, did move beyond and got to help with a lot of that. Gained experience, gained some knowledge. Um, I had to go back to school uh, before, before we finished. We did get it in the dry. So I saw a lot of this process. Now imagine several years pass and I think, um, I'm going to build my own house. I got to help. I got to do some things. I learned some things. I saw a lot yeah, I didn't help with the foundation, but I saw him do it. You know, I, I know that you should take a really long time, and, um, and, and I guess then it'll be okay. And so I, so I build, and I get, um, you know, maybe I get all the framing. Maybe I get all, everything on the outside done, and I'm a good maybe three-quarters of the way through, and I decide, you know, I'm going to go talk to my friend, Matt. His name is Matt as well. And I'm going to ask him, and I go to him, and I say, Matt, what... What's the key to a, having a, building a really good house? And what I'm looking for, I'm looking for like the, the, the deep, dark, like Jedi secrets that only contractors and construction workers have that, that, that the rest of us don't. What do you know that I don't know? That, what, what knowledge can you impart on me so that I can go and make my house a really good special house too? And then imagine Matt says to me, he thinks for a minute and says, well, you know, you want to um, make sure that your two by fours, you want them to be as straight as you can. You don't want to use any really, you know, bowed ones. So just pay attention to your lumber. Okay. Um, you don't want your, your boards like your OSB. You don't, you don't want all this. You want to sitting out in the weather and getting warped and stuff. You want to make sure you pay attention to that, I'm thinking. And, and he remembers back to my days of learning how to hammer nails. And he says, you, you probably want to get a nail gun um, if you don't have one already. <laughs> I did learn how, but it was painful. It was very painful. Lost many a nail as they went pinging away somewhere. Um, and I say, I've, I've done all that. I've done all that. I'm waiting for the, the special knowledge. Um, and so he pauses and then he says, if you really want to have a good house, you're going to need to tear down everything you've done and let me come and build the foundation. Imagine in this imaginary situation, how I would feel at that moment. And as I'm sitting there and thinking about all the time that I've spent um, probably all the YouTube videos that I've watched to, to figure out how to do this and that, but all the money, the effort, the labor, the, the sweat, and the, I mean, everything that went into it, and I'm thinking, what are you asking me to do? And, and I just, I become sad because I think of all that I've done and what he's asking me to do. Well, when you come with nothing but from my youth, what you're really saying is my house is mostly built already. 
And when he comes to Jesus, his house is mostly built. And then second, Jesus says, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Sell all that you have. So let's consider for a moment what that would mean to him. Because who was he again? He was a ruler. So this is the other part of the profile. He's a ruler. He has power. He has authority. He has position. You know, he's probably worked his way up or moved his way up. He's been a ruler for a while, but that's been the trajectory of his life for some time. And now he is a ruler. He's been a ruler. I mean, this is who he was. Who am I? He might, if he were to ask himself, I am a ruler. I mean, he knows what to do each day. Because he's a ruler. He knows who he is. When he looks in the mirror, he knows, I'm a ruler. When people see him coming down the street, they know he is a ruler. His world each day made sense. And when he laid his head down on his pillow each night, it made sense. And for it to make sense, he needed to be a ruler because that's just who he was. And when Jesus says, sell, all that you have. Is this really just about riches and wealth? And think about what that would mean for him. There probably weren't too many poor young rulers around. So when Jesus says, sell all that you have, this would be a fundamental change in who he was. He would not be a ruler anymore. Jesus, this is Jesus saying, tear it all down. When he says, sell all that you have, he's saying, tear it all down. Tear down all that you are. This gets at identity. You know, at the, at the inner circle of who he was, it is written there, ruler. That's who he was. His, the, the, the wealth supported that. The wealth contributed to that, but this is who he was. And this is, I mean, this is the challenge. I mean, what is our, our identity? And, and, and you want to tear that down? I mean, is that not the challenge for all of us? The, the thing that we most identify with or identify as, realizing that that is in competition with Jesus, and they can't coexist. You know, the, the questions that have been around for, for some time now, but regarding like LGBTQ community and all of these things, the issue is not, and, and what has become is not so much behavior, but identity. I want to be this and have Jesus. It doesn't work for any identity. It doesn't work in that for that, and it doesn't work for a ruler. Tear it all down. Jesus is saying, be unmade from your own image. But what Jesus knows that he doesn't understand is that he will be unmade anyway. Jesus can do it. Or he will be unmade because the house is not built on a solid foundation. It will fall.
And third, he says, and follow me. Sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and follow me. And so Jesus forces him in this moment to weigh the two things. I'm extremely rich. I have all this stuff. I've worked so hard for these things, and this, this also reinforces who I am. And then, and, and then Jesus. And we know that he's weighing these things because it says that he, upon hearing this, he becomes sad. So he's weighing these things in his mind. It's like, how, how can you ask me to do this? How could I possibly do this? And this comes down to the question of our love and our affections. If from my youth gets at his foundation for righteousness, if sell all that you have gets at his identity, follow me gets at his love and affections. What does he love most? What do you love most? What has your affections the most? I, you know, granted, we don't usually think in that way, especially about these things. And maybe it's just because I'm a guy, too. Even as I was asking that question, it was like, that's kind of weird. I don't know. Um, you know, maybe, maybe nothing. But as I you know, probed deeper, and, and, and this gets to the heart of it for him, what, what is it that gives you security? You take this away, and I'm not me anymore. What is it that... Deep down inside, you know, he might not say, oh, oh, yeah, I just love money. You know, he's Scrooge McDuck diving in his money bin every night. And um, I never understood how you swim in coins. If you dive into coins, you'll break your neck. But um, it still looks so cool. You know, he may not be that. He may not have actually verbalized, yes, I love my wealth. I love my riches. But when it comes down to it, he could not imagine parting with it because it was such a part of who he was. What are those things that you need people to believe about you? You need people to think about you. You will be unsettled if they don't. If they begin to think this, now, I need people to understand this and think and believe this about me. This is who I am. This is the image that I'm trying to project to the world. When it's been a really just awful hard day, what is the thing that your, your heart longs for to make it feel better again? What are the things that whisper, not from the outside, but from the inside of your heart when you're alone at night and nobody's around and you can do whatever you want? What do you love? This is what bridges the gap from merely believing to following Jesus. This is what Jesus is trying to get him to see. This is what's missing from between from my youth to follow me. He says, one thing you lack, which is interesting because it was what he had. The thing that he had was his lack. I mean, we don't say it in that way. What he had was his insufficiency because what he had was insufficient. Tear it all down. He says, be unmade from your own image. Follow me, says, but be remade in my image. 
Jesus is saying, let me build the new foundation. Tear it all down and let me build the new foundation. Jesus is saying, be reborn. Back to that that introductory passage, they were bringing even the infants. The disciples missed it. We we were discussing this um, before this service, between the two services, but they didn't see that. Like, what is the value in this? How does this advance our cause? How is this going to help us bring the kingdom of God to earth? um, Jenny, you said, like, we need soldiers, not babies. This is distracting us from the mission. (laughs) And Jesus says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Be reborn. And this is where it goes beyond many, maybe, who are stuck at from my youth. This is something Seth and I, as we were discussing it this, this week, just he, he framed it so well, saying, are you like the ruler? Are you already formed? Or are, do you, are you still in formation? Like, do you have it all already? And I don't need more. I'm already formed. Or do you see yourself as still in process, still in formation, still being built, being rebuilt, being torn down, and being rebuilt? We're becoming more like a child. If it's the one who is like a child who will receive the kingdom of God, are you becoming more like a child or are you set in your ways? Is the gospel becoming not just something from your youth, but something that is for you now? Or does it just seem childish? Again, you wouldn't say it that way. But it's like, you know, those were stories from my youth. I don't actually take them seriously. Jesus turns that idea on his head and says, yes, be childish. Become like a child. We'll we'll have an opportunity after the baptism. Uh, We're going to sing some of the songs, or I guess all the songs that we've been singing um, or it's a, it's a medley, several songs together that we've been singing on Wednesday nights with the kids. And when they sing it, man, I mean, they, they, they shout literally, like they scream and yell. Um, and, and we're going to sing those songs and it's going to be fun and energetic. And, and I encourage you to be like a child. This is the here and now aspect of the gospel. Not the gospel for then, the gospel for now. Verses 28 and 30 say, And Peter said, See, we've left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more, and here's the key phrase, in this time and in the age to come eternal life. So it's the foundation now. It's the rebuilding and the remaking now. It's the rebirth and the maturation now. It's all of Jesus, not just in eternity, but all of Jesus now. 
I think there are two wins for Satan in the lives of believers. First is, is when you focus only on the immediate and never consider e- eternity. What do I want now? What do I feel like now? What do I need to do now? Now, 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 now. The immediacy and the urgency of now. I never consider that you are not laying up treasure for heaven. You are doing nothing that has eternal impact because you're so focused on the now. The second is when you have a view of eternity, you know, that way down that road down there that never affects today. If he can trap you in one of those two places, have your Jesus, have your church, get together and sing all day long if you want, but you will, you will do nothing. Yesterday I took two of my boys, they're not here, even though I pointed them to them. They were here earlier. Um, they did come to the first service, you know, so they can check the box. Um, but we went to a conference called the Respond Conference yesterday, um, and it was a, an, an apologetics conference held at Mount Vernon. It was done by Sean McDowell. Really excellent, really well done. I knew it was going to be, I thought it would be good, but I was, I was very impressed with how well it was done and framed and, and what they taught. It was for youth um, college students, it was, it's primarily for students, but there are people of all ages there, including myself. And I knew, like, they need to, to go to this. And, um, and our, our youngest did not want to go. And he had, yeah, so I, I get out of bed, we are going. And I laid down the law, I put my foot down. And then I went and got his mama, and she got him out of bed. <laughs> And he got in the car and came with us. Um, And to his credit and to mine, we both apologized to one another later on. He initiated, um, so good for him. But as I was telling him in the car on the way there, it's like, I know you don't feel like you want to go to this, but we're not doing this for you now. We're doing this for you, you know, four, five, 10, 20 years down the road. Because you are going to face these things in life. And this is, I mean, apologetics is all about how does the truth, the eternal truth of of Scripture and life today now, how do they intersect? And what does this have to say to this? How do we understand this? That you're going to need to know those. And you're going to be challenged. And people are going to say things you're not going to understand. and, And they're going to try to challenge your faith. And you're going to face doubts. You need to have a strong foundation now. So I know it's a beautiful day in October with the leaves changing. And there, you know, for me, there's yard work to be done. There's football on. I mean, there are a million other things I'd rather do now, but we are going here today because you need this. And I need this. And we need to do these things because the gospel is here and now, not just then. How many of you, of us, are, are, are trained, you've been trained, you've been equipped, you're dressed for action, but you have never taken a single step in following Jesus. Just standing there as Jesus is going, ready but never moving. And I don't know what to call that. I mean, there's, there's not really anything in this word for that category of, of person. It's a precarious position to be in. But many in the, in the church today, maybe less so than a year and a half ago, um, I think find themselves in that position of the, you know, I should, I oughta, I know I should. I mean, that's like the motto 
of many people who have believed from their youth. Well, I really should. I really ought to. But we just never take the step. The posture of a true believer, I think, is this. That in light of eternal truth, in light of who Jesus is, past, present, future, always thinking, what is the next step of obedience? And the next step, not the five years down the road, ten years down the road, considering those, what is the next step of obedience? I mean, it's what a follower does, right? Follows. Jesus gave this man the step. Here's the step of obedience. And he was overwhelmed. He was sorrowful because of what it would cost him. When you think about what it really means to follow Christ tomorrow, not, not next year or not you know, the next five years, but tomorrow, what it means to give up the things that you love, your affections that compete with, your, with allegiance for Christ because they will ultimately fail you and lead you down the wrong path, to give those up so that Jesus occupies that place tomorrow and you're overwhelmed and sorrowful. Ask yourself, are you trusting in what you've built and you're too invested to stop now? I would urge you not to walk away sorrowful. Feel the impossibility. I mean, this is where we go wrong. We lessen the call to make it more manageable. But all we're doing then is continuing to build that house. What you really need is just a better coat of paint. No, (laughs) no, tear it all down. This morning... This morning I was reading, and, and you know, praise God, in Genesis 17, I was investigating these words and, and looking back, and I saw this pattern. Adam and Eve, they walked with God. Enoch, he walked with God, and then he was taken, then he was no more. Noah, and this is the words of Scripture where they say, Noah, he walked with God and was perfect in his generation. When God comes to, uh, to Abram for the third time in Genesis 17, he comes to make the, the covenant with him, and he says, walk before me and be perfect. Those are the words he said. It's continuing a pattern of those who are God's to walk with him, to be perfect. When Jesus comes to the rich young ruler. He tells him two things. And we don't, we don't see it here. Here it says, this is what you lack. In the Matthew version, Jesus literally says, in order to be perfect. So what does Jesus tell him? Walk with me, follow me, and be perfect. Continue this thing that has begun from the beginning. But Jesus, he is the one who comes to restore the relationship lost at Adam and Eve, lost with the fall. Walk with God again. Be perfect with God again. And here's what makes the gospel here and now. Verses 26 and 27. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? 
But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Let's pray. Father, just help us to even think right now about the impossibilities that we allow to stand in the way because we don't see how it can be. We don't see how we can tear down this house with so much invested, so much time, effort, our identity, our affections, our loves, all that makes us, us. But God, convince us, show us that we are not truly us apart from Christ. That you desire to remake us in your image and to then have a true identity, to have true loves and affections, things that draw us, that will not lead to our destruction, but that will, will carry us day by day by day by day on into eternity. Jesus is better. So make our hearts believe. In his name we pray, amen. Stand and let's sing.